Let me introduce our guest, Jerry. He is a retired educator in China with 18 years living in the greater Bay Area's Zhongshan City. He is well known on Twitter for having traversed slowly on back roads through China by bicycle. He self-describes as often disparaged in Western media as just a retiree with a bike, but understands China for its culture. He has a master's in cross-cultural change management and advises Western business managers on how to better their relationships relationships with Chinese and a diverse staff. Welcome to the bridge, Jerry. Hi. Thank you very much. Hi, Jerry. Thank you. Hi, Jason and Bebe. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> now, just before the show, we were mentioning that you have not just spent a lot of time in China, but you've actually lived in different countries. You grew up where, Jerry? I grew up in the UK. I was born in the northeast of England. And uh, when I was 11, my family moved to the southeast. So uh, I became an Essex boy. I worked in central London for 10 years. I was a police officer wow. there. And, and then, uh, yeah, when I left the police service, it was because I was married to an Australian girl and she wanted to go home. Oh. Mm. And so my uh, my then wife, two kids, and I flew to Australia where I became a permanent resident, first of all, and then a citizen. So now I, I'm in China living with two passports, but my visa is in the Australian passport. So I, de I identify as an Australian. Oh. So wait, can you be a police officer as a British citizen in Australia? Technically, yes, you could. I didn't join the police in Australia. I, I, I actually entered the security industry. Uh, I applied to join the police, but there were barriers put in front of me. But mm. the, oh. being a permanent resident wasn't an issue. Mm. I, I got the permanent resident visa before I went to Australia. So the only criteria was that within two years, you must become an Australian citizen at that time. I'm not sure what the mm. rules are now, but that was back in 1987. Wow. So I'm getting old, you can tell. <laughs> so you were able to do that through marriage. That's pretty neat. My, my wife wasn't actually mm. born in Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, she was born in the UK, but her parents migrated when she was a baby. Oh. She had two sisters born there who were actually natural, like not naturalized. They were Australians. They were born there. And uh, they all went back to the UK when my wife was about 15. So she identified as Australian. She wasn't technically an Australian. But her two sisters who were both took up their nationality. And then we were able to apply for what they call family reunion visa. Uh, it, it, it was a, a long process. It wasn't difficult. It took, a, it took more than six months to get sorted out and quite mm. expensive, too. What expensive. But, mm. And then you're living in China. Yeah. After all mm. the UK and Australia experience, <laughs> you're living in yeah. China. I just passed a milestone just a couple of weeks ago, as a matter of fact. I've now lived in China longer than I lived in Australia. Oh, wow. It was uh, 17 years and four months in wow. Australia, and now I'm 17 years and about six months, maybe seven months in China. No, I just want to say that um, listening to Jerry talk, I feel like uh, I have flashbacks of the Downton Abbey. Have you seen that TV show? <laughs> he sounds like one of those aristocrats <laughs> from the TV series. Of course, yeah. Definitely upstairs. <laughs> Have you watched that show, Jason? No, I, I'm sorry, I haven't. The only British show I've ever seen is The IT Crowd. So am, am I from upstairs or downstairs? <laughs> this is the important thing. I think I prefer to be upstairs. Huh. Okay, that makes you sound a bit nerdy, but Downton Abbey was really, it was really good. And I was all the way, I watched all the way till the fourth episode. 
when I think his name was Mike, when Mike died in an accident. And I was like, oh, I'm not watching anymore. But anyhow, since you haven't watched it, so you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, it tells us what you think about Mike. Well, yeah, I guess he he, he was quite good looking yeah. and all that. <laughs> anyhow, yeah. so it's fascinating uh, just hearing that little bit about you, uh, what Jason uh, introduced. And I, I have lots of questions, but I think I should let Jason start. I, I do too, yeah. So, you know, you, you say you identify as Australian, which is really interesting because you live longer in England, but now you're here in China. So I guess one a good question is, what brought you here? Why are you here and why did you stay? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I came here on an eight-month contract in 2004, and uh, that contract was one school year. But the school year had already started, mm. and the organization I was working for in Australia, uh, it, and like many things in China, and you, you both uh, know what I'm talking about here, a last-minute decision was made. You've got the contract. You can start on Monday morning. And they said, mm -hmm. yeah, we might have the contract, but we don't have the teacher for the job. So they sent out uh, this, this uh, language center in Australia, sent out uh, uh, their own, one of their own senior teachers. And um, she was mm -hmm. here for a couple of months while they tried to find a teacher. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for someone. It was a, it was a very wealthy school in Zhongshan. Mm -hmm. And it was a very wealthy school. And the kids were a little bit problematic. So they were looking for someone that had some kind of background in, in discipline. <gasps> a police officer. And they found me because, <laughs> they, yeah, it, on my resume, it said that I'd been a police officer. So they interviewed me, and I, I was I was apparently the 68th person wow. they interviewed. Wow. And uh, I got the job, and the, the following week I was in China. Uh, it was that fast. But my reason was I, I was I How was problematic were the kids? My goodness. <laughs> they weren't. They were great. They were fantastic. There was no issues with them. They were rich kids. Um, they, they, the school is still there. It's a, it's a, an international school. Uh -huh. It has a lot of rich kids, and they do tend to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit less disciplined mm. than most Chinese. You know, we get this image of Chinese school kids mm -hmm. as very studious, very well disciplined, right. very diligent. And these were none of that, but they, we had a lot of fun. Uh, they, I, I did have great fun. And really all, all my job was to prepare them for university. Mm. I arrived in the school on a Wednesday at uh, nine o'clock in the morning. And I'd arrived in China at two o'clock the morning, or the same morning, two, 2 a.m. I'd arrived in Zhongshan. My flight was uh, quite a lengthy delay, and I got in. I got into bed about three o'clock, and at seven o'clock there was someone there to pick me up. Mm -hmm. So I, I was pretty tired. And the first thing they said to me was, uh, "You're going to be the IELTS teacher." And I said, mm -hmm. "IELTS? What's mm -hmm. that? How do you spell it?" <laughs> uh, I had never heard of this, and it's, it, I, mean, I went on to become an IELTS mm -hmm. examiner years later. So um, that was my last full time position in China so what is a, was as an IELTS examiner. What is an IELTS teacher? What is IELTS? The International English Language Testing System. If oh. you want to study overseas, you need an IELTS or a TOEFL test. Okay. Well, yeah, I have a lot of friends who are IELTS examiners in Beijing, actually. Oh. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's over 300 in China. So did you like show up on the first day with a, what do you call it, like a baton and your like police suit and <laughs> 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 give them the impression they needed? I wore a jacket and tie and uh, that was about as, oh, as, mm. as uh, formal as it got when I when I wandered into class um, it was a brand new and and it had been open two months but they still didn't have a door mm. on the class it hadn't the door had been taken away to be fitted <laughs> the uh, windows didn't fit properly because they hadn't been very well built and the classroom had eight of these 
uh, oscillating fans on the roof on the ceiling mm. and mm -hmm. and basically i stood under one of those fans all day because it was it's incredibly hot, hot yeah and humid uh, so yeah I, I after the first day i didn't wear the jacket or the tie and after the second day i was taking two or three shirts to work <laughs> yeah. a day oh wow it was it was really really hot by the time I left there, a year, less than a year later, eight or nine, well, ten months later, I think I left. I extended my contract, but by the time I left, uh, it was it was a very mm -hmm. different classroom. It was very modern, ultra modern, mm -hmm. modern computer, PowerPoint presentations. Mm -hmm. Everything was interlinked, and it had air conditioning. It still had a chalkboard, though. That's something that really surprises me about China. It's for nostalgia. It, it may very well be, but the, you know, you've got this fantastic system. You've got an uh, audio-visual system that is second to none in the world, and then chalk dust in, infiltrated. <laughs> Humidity and chalk dust don't go very that's well. That's true. That's true. It's part of John Santi. And, and can we maybe take a moment uh, to explain the location of? the Greater Bay Area that we were talking about? Because people might mistake it for other places. Can you just, like, you know, pinpoint it on the on the map? If they really want to know, they can watch my last uh, video on YouTube. By, by sheer coincidence, just a few days ago, I put a video mm -hmm. onto YouTube about how the Greater Bay Area, Hong Kong and Macau, are assimilating each other. Mm. No one's taking over Hong Kong. No one's taking over Macau. Mm -hmm. It's a fact that thousands and thousands of people from both those places are coming into the Greater Bay Area. Mm. So effectively, what we, what we used to have is something called the Pearl River Delta, the PRD. Right. And that was that was made up of on the mm. north side, or in fact, it's probably you call it the east side of the Pearl River is Shenzhen. On the west side or the south side of the Pearl River is um, Zhuhai. Mm. Now, Zhuhai links to Macau, Shenzhen links to Hong Kong. I think most people know that, mm. but not many people know about the Zhuhai-Macau link. Hmm. Now, if you go further north of Zhuhai, then there's Zhongshan. That's the city I live. Further hmm. north of that, and you've got Jiangmen and Foshan. And on the other side, you've got Shenzhen, then Dongguan, and then it links up with um, Guangzhou and Foshan. Mm -hmm. And that used to be those few cities were the Pearl River Delta. Mm -hmm. Now it's expanded out to places like uh, Jiaoqin and Jiangmen. Mm -hmm. These these are the Pearl. What the Pearl River Delta used to be is now the Greater Bay mm -hmm. Area because it includes nine cities instead of the original six cities. And that and that's really all it is. It's mm -hmm. it's it's an economic area where one of the great things that they've done here is they've they've opened up two areas on the mainland one in shenzhen which is called um shanghai and one in zhuhai which is called henqing these two areas are expansions of the uh, sars mm. the special administrative regions of oh. hong kong and macau oh. so those two areas have the same laws as the mainland and the same mm. laws as the sar oh. so people working in those areas are are cross-trained mm. they you can be a doctor there you can be a lawyer an accountant you can be any mm. professional mm. and there is a there's, a there's an exam to take that ensures that you understand both the legalities or the, the financial arrangements mm -hmm. effectively in the case of um, uh, macau they're now 12 times bigger macau is now 12 times bigger than it used to wow. be through the integration of Henqing mm. into the Macau legal and uh, demographic system. It's still on the main. In fact, Henqing is an island, but there's mm. a bridge to it. It's, it's linked to the mm -hmm. mainland. But it, it's, um, I think it's 12 times bigger than Macau. Now, in the case of Henqing in, as, at Shanghai, uh, yeah, Shanghai in, in Shenzhen, 
it's not that big, but it is allowing for all of Hong Kong's uh, IT, mm-hmm. Hong Kong's educational systems. And you know, lots of universities are making huge investments. Lots of corporations are making huge investments. Mm. And these, these two areas are now an opportunity for both of those mm. regions, mm. the SARs, mm. to expand into the mainland mm-hmm. rather than China taking over those two SARs mm. in 2047. I'm certain they won't. Mm. They won't need to because the SARs are coming across to the mainland and they're assimilating into in basically Hong Kong, Macau and Guangdong mm. have similar cultures. Mm-hmm. Now, people would argue this and say, well, Hong Kong culture is nothing like mainland. And to a point, I agree. But they are Cantonese. They, sh- they share the same language. Mm. They, share, mm-hmm. they share the same music. They share a lot of things in their culture and their history. Mm. And so, you know, you've got the same language. You've got the same laws. You've got uh, expanded property. You've also got loads of incentives, financial incentives, tax incentives, mm. social incentives to move across to these areas. Mm. So mm. It's, it's going to be a great assimilation process. The next 25 years are really going to be interesting in this region. Wow, Jason, we can do a show just on this. I think we just did. <laughs> yeah, how do we look for you on YouTube or other platforms that you put your videos on? Just easy, just search Jerry Gray. In, in fact, probably a good idea. My name is spelled G-R-E-Y, Jerry Gray. Mm. And um, there is a professional wrestler called Jerry Gray in America in the <laughs> WW whatever it is. Yeah. Mm. And there's also an artist in Canada called Jerry Gray who's these these guys got their own websites and are mm. quite famous. Mm. So if you search Jerry Gray, comma, China, then you get mm. me. wanted to because you're talking about chalkboards i was hoping because i have not been in china 18 years i've only been in china 10 years i'm sorry baby i was hoping for a little bit of an outsider's perspective sure. how would you describe the difference between china now and china like 20 years mm. ago like what are some of the changes oh that you've God. seen <laughs> we only have 14 minutes <laughs> I, I would say in terms of the cities the infrastructure the when i came here one of the things I can remember in that very first classroom, standing under the oscillating fan, being told that there will be a high-speed train link to Beijing mm. in a few years' time, and I kind of laughed at that. You know, that'll take years. Mm. You know, they, they don't worry about that, because coming f- coming <laughs> right. from two countries where infrastructure does take a long time, mm-hmm. it was a surprise. Uh, and then I laughed out loud when they told me there'll be a bridge to Hong Kong. And I said, do you know where Hong Kong is? And I got a map out and showed them. They're never going to build a bridge across there. And, and they have. And it's there. It's been there for a couple of years now. So in terms of infrastructure, it's, it's just inconceivable. You cannot 
comprehend the speed of change in infrastructure. My local mm. hospital is at least 10 times the size it was when I arrived here. Wow. Um, there are in, in the city where I live, I think there are four new universities have been built in the last 18 years that I've been here. There's two vocational colleges that have been built, which are not universities. Mm. They're, they're training programs for particularly young kids mm. who want to go into the, the trades. Um, that kind of infrastructure is, is inconceivably different. It, there's just mm. no way to mm. describe that. But probably the most important thing is in rural areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I traveled in 2014, it was very common for my roads to turn into dirt tracks mm-hmm. and then just mm-hmm. lose themselves in the desert. You know, it's, <laughs> you're, you're riding along this road and suddenly you're in a quarry uh, and you've got to walk because it's just <laughs> broken rocks on the ground. So you're literally picking up your bike and, and all of its mm-hmm. uh, stuff and walking through. I, I've traveled through the same regions, and we're talking about places like Ningxia, Gansu, Xinjiang uh, region. These places ha- mm. now have everywhere mm. you go, there mm. are tarmac mm. roads. Uh, if you're going into the rural areas, I mean, the real mm. rural areas where there didn't used to be any roads at all, uh, and you'd see people walking up these roads with donkeys uh, or donkey carts. Mm-hmm. Now they have either tarmac or concrete roads. And I, I read that there is not a single village left in China that doesn't have a road leading into it. So this is the poverty alleviation program. Mm. There's, a, there's a saying in China that if you build a road, if you want to get rich, first of all, build the path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they've done, they've mm. very much done that. Every single town I've ever been to, ever, every single place I've been to in China has um, Wi-Fi, 4G. It's just, mm. it's inconceivable that, I go to Australia sometimes on a trip and I have to go to the local coffee shop just to make a phone call mm. because it doesn't work in, in the city center. It doesn't work because the buildings block it out. The signal is blocked out. In, in China, you get into an elevator and it, it's, it's Wi-Fi enabled. <laughs> it, it's yeah, seriously, just... <laughs> you, you never, you wouldn't understand this living in China. If you, if you didn't live in China, you wouldn't understand what I mean by this. Mm-hmm. If you live in Australia, you expect your telephone to drop out as you're walking around the city mm. center. Oh. I've never had that happen in China. Mm. Why never. city center? Like, because buildings block, they block the signal. Uh... In, buildings block the signal. Now, the other thing is in rural areas of China, you, you, sorry, in rural areas of Australia, you wouldn't have signal at all. You have to use a landline. Mm. Rural areas of Australia don't have, um, they don't have Wi-Fi. Many of them don't have Wi-Fi. They, they don't have uh, 4G. There's no 5G. I don't know if there's 5G at all in Australia. Uh, you know, when you think about the changes in China, when I came here, you know, I, I came with, this is, my wife still laughs at this. I arrived here with uh, two bottles of shampoo, two bottles of uh, of a shower gel. What? Sham- yeah, I, I did the two. I also uh, brought tiny, the little traveler ones yeah. because I didn't know what I would find. And then I realized quickly I didn't need them. They, yeah, they put me into an apartment above <laughs> a shopping center that had everything that I'd carried. I paid, I paid <laughs> excess luggage to get this stuff across here and then found I could afford it cheaper <laughs> downstairs. Uh, yeah, it is fascinating. You are very famous uh, among a lot of people on social media because have you ever seen the movie uh, Wall Street? It's 1987. Charlie 
Charlie Sheen. Uh, it's called Wall Street. And the character in this movie keeps saying to his girlfriend in the movie, oh, I want to ride a motorcycle across China. And that's really? like his like his big dream. So, Jerry, you are famous for having bicycled across China. Could you tell us a little <laughs> bit about that experience? Why did you do it? What did you see? Yeah. Why would you do that? Bicycle? China is pretty big. <laughs> right? It, it is. It's, I really want to hear about it. It sounds this. awesome, actually. It sounds super awesome. The question is not really why would you do it, but why would you do it again and again and again? I've done it four times now, or three times mm. across, mm. basically. Um, wow. Back in 2013, I think it was, I was, uh, I was in my mid-50s and very conscious of the fact that both my mother and my grandfather her, her father, I take after mm. that, that side of the family. And um, I have a kind of a roundish figure. Mm. That, that's a, a, a euphemistic way of saying I'm a bit fat. <laughs> and I, I was aware that both my grandfather and mother had heart issues when they hit 60, in their 50s, before they, my grandfather had, had mm. three heart attacks before mm. he was 60, mm. uh, before, yeah, before he was 60 in his 50s. And I was aware of that. And I'm looking in a mirror and looking at myself and thinking it's your turn next because I was in my 50s and a little overweight. Mm. And I just came out of the shower and said to my wife, I'm going to ride across China on a bike and she's to like, Tibet. And she said, you yeah, have, right. Yeah, she said, you haven't, you haven't got a bike. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know that. <laughs> uh, Is that's that a true. problem? That's not well, the biggest problem. It's not the biggest problem, but it was, it was, it was certainly not insurmountable, but it was a problem. But and I, I went out and bought, a, bought myself a bike and uh, started riding to and from school. The school was eight kilometers away that I was working in at that time. Different school. Wait, wait, wait. Mm -hmm. So wait, you, so one day in the shower, mm. you yeah. decided... I'm going to ride across China on a bike. Yeah. And that's yeah. it? There were, no. like, no period of time where you, like, <laughs> deliberate a little bit? Like, think about I, I, why I should do this and where I should I get, go? Like, I get all my... I get a lot yeah. of my inspiration in the shower. I don't know why. Well, I have a question, actually. When you were planning your trip, did you have like a topographical map and you're like avoiding mountains or are you just like, OK, that's the way I'm going? <laughs> I did. I did. It took me 18 months to, to finally uh, get going. Uh, I, I put together a 22 page um, mm. researched document about the best route to take to avoid the major peaks. Ooh. And um, mm. yeah, the, the highest I was going to go mm. was 2.6, uh, 2,600 meters. Wow. And you're you're talking about you're going from like Zhongshan City yeah. from like southern yeah. part of China correct yeah. all the way well like we, were you biking all the way yeah. there yeah what I decided to do then was I, I decided to ride from the border of Macau to the border of Kazakhstan through Xinjiang and mm -hmm. uh, it was uh, 4,500 kilometers and yes there's some mountains wow. but the highest you go is 2,600 um, the, the hardest mountains are actually getting out of Guangdong believe it or not we were on day three or four and we hit the what they call the Nanling mountain range uh, in if you know any geography of Zhong, of Guangdong uh, around the area of um, Qingyuan and uh, there's a town of Qingyuan which is actually it's it's so far away that it took two days to get mm. there from Qingyuan to Lianzhou is very mountainous and then you get through uh, Lianzhou and into Hunan province and then you start to flatten out a bit and then you go all the way through to Hubei Cross the river, it's, it's relatively flat. Then you hit the mountains in, in Shanxi, and that's really, really nasty. But the worst of them were definitely in northern Guangdong. Were you camping? Did you bring a tent? Yeah, we carried a tent, but we didn't need it until way the other side of Xi'an. Xi'an is pretty much in the middle of China. They call it Northwest China, but if you look at a map of, Xi of, of China, 
there are a couple of cities that you could say, and Wuhan is one of them where you are, Jason. It's it's around the middle of China. Mm-hmm. So depending on your start point then uh, or, or your finish point where your direction is, then you'd either go through Xi'an or, or Wuhan to get to anywhere else in China, I think. <clears throat> uh, or if you're going through the middle of China. I have a question burning in my brain. Yeah. Like, I just want to clarify something. Okay. Were you, like, biking all the way from Zhongshan City? Yes. Wait, yes. so you were not, like, you know, yes. taking your bike. You get on a train and get to the next city and then bike no. on the, like, road. And then you take a train to the next city. No. You were biking all the way across China? I've got it tattooed on my arm. A cycle 4,500 and... Hang on a second, 4,931 oh kilometers. Because yeah. when Jason said you, you know, traversed slowly on bad yeah. roads, I thought that was for like entertainment, you know, on weekends. You would ride on a bike around China for a bit. For <laughs> Sometimes do that so too. So we're talking about something major here. So your first trip, Jerry, how long from the beginning to the end point did you actually spend? Well, the, fir- the first trip was an interesting one because we, we, we tried to, I, I linked it to a charity mm-hmm. and tried to raise some money for the charity. We, we raised quite a lot of money for disabled people inside of Zhongshan. There was two of us an Irish guy and myself. Mm. Interesting that neither of us could really speak Chinese either. So that was a bit of a challenge. (laughs) Um, We started at the border of Macau and Macau-Gongbei border. And then we cycled north. And our first night stop was in the northern suburbs of Zhongshan, the city that we cycled from the day before (laughs) to get to the border, which which is kind of strange. Um, But then uh, after that, we were on our own. We had a a group of friends with us. It was a bit of a it was a bit of a circus, actually, Mm, for the mm. first day. And we had a group of friends with us, traveled with us as far as uh, Huadu, which is near Guangzhou Airport. And after we got to that area, we were on our own. Mm. And uh, both the the Philbian and myself, we, we both had this kind of thing in our head that we would be letting people down if we don't at least a good distance. Very far. Yeah. When we got into <laughs> Hunan, it was about day seven or eight, we got into Hunan and we were like high-fiving each other. You know, we've we've left Guangdong finally mm-hmm. and, uh, and we got over those mountains, which are not very high, but they're brutally steep. Mm-hmm. And then we got uh, mm-hmm. through Hunan and into, we crossed the river, the Changjian, and then into Hubei. In fact, I think we were in Hubei before we crossed the river, but I'm not entirely certain geographically where we were there. Um, we were just following a compass, believe it or not, in a northerly direction. Wow! But I had the, I had a route map, and we just didn't worry about it. I, I carried all these maps. I carried a tent. Mm. We didn't need the tent until we were beyond Xi'an because every single piece of dirt in China is being used for something. It's either turned into a road, a shopping center, it's a car park, it's a, a industrial city, it's a, a residential, it's farmland, whatever it is, it's being used. And then when you get the other side of uh, Xi'an, then you get past Xianyang and you're in the countryside for the mm, first time. Mm, and that's like about day 30 mm, that we wow. were about there. My wife and a friend joined us in um, Xi'an for a couple of days rest, stop, stop days. Mm. And then when uh, we say goodbye to them, we headed north. And, um, and then after we got a couple more days north, we started to turn west northwest and into Gansu, Ningxia. The the entire journey from the border of Macau to Urumuchi was 57 days. And then this this is where we did cheat a little bit. And this is the bit that you're you're talking about, Bebe. Mm -hmm. We we had um, my wife, Phil's wife, Mm -hmm. and a couple of other people, including both of our mothers-in-law, joined us there. And we rented 
couple of drivers with a couple of cars mm. and mm-hmm. we had support vehicles for the ride to the border of Kazakhstan. So from Urumqi to, to the border was was an assisted ride where quite often we weren't carrying any baggage. Sometimes, mm. uh, particularly through through snow-capped mountains wow. mm-hmm. where we were actually riding in blizzards, we oh said, fuck at this. And we, uh, we we threw the bikes on the roof of the cars and um, we just went down the hill to better weather. Uh, so, yeah, we got some photographs of us ri- riding through a blizzard, but um, we were riding without carrying our backpacks and our bags and things like that. So the, it was assisted from Urumuchi to the border of Korgash. Wow. Wow. That's uh, amazing. Is, yeah. That's, that's, a big, that's a big train city where lots of gas comes in and out from Russia through Kazakhstan. So we're hmm. talking about two guys yes. who don't speak Chinese, yeah. just cycling across China for like months? Yeah. I, wow. Phil doesn't speak any or didn't speak any Chinese at all at the time. Um, he, mm-hmm. He's back in Ireland now, so I get he's married to a Chinese lady, so I guess he doesn't speak much either. Mm. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm functional in, in Chinese. Okay. I could order food and get directions mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But uh, it was quite limited, quite challenging. You get to meet people and they have a conversation. Mm-hmm. We've got a great video of me having a conversation with a, a, a Muslim guy mm. in Gansu somewhere. And he was telling me that Barack Obama was a Muslim. And I'm looking at him. <laughs> I think he's just told I'm on video saying I think he just told me that Barack Obama's a Muslim and Phil goes yes I think he did <laughs> Phil couldn't understand the word were you guys video <laughs> yeah it was quite funny yeah we took we made a, we made a few mm. the funny thing is we weren't doing this for video blogging or vlogging or anything like that we just did this for it was a bit of fun mm. raise mm-hmm. raise money for charity I mean there mm. are days when you say this is not fun for sure. <laughs> um, particularly those mountains but yeah it was generally speaking it it was it was something we wanted to do. We raised money for charity, mm. and um, it became something of a, a, a kind of. It's not. I'm not unique in having done this, mm. but uh, I'm possibly unique in having <laughs> boasted about it online. <laughs> they, I, I've got an even better story for you, and and this mm. is the subject mm-hmm. of a future interview for you. The following year. My wife, thinking mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I can't let Jerry get one better on me, decided that she wanted to walk huh. to Beijing. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So walk she, to Beijing. That's amazing. Yeah. She walked with an American friend. And my wife is Chinese, <laughs> so uh, she, she didn't have the language mm-hmm. barriers, but she walked with an American friend four and a half months wow. from Zhongshan to Beijing. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, feel so, I feel so lazy now. <laughs> well, in, two, in 2019, we decided to collaborate and we, we flew to Uruguay. I can do that. <laughs> yeah. Then we had our bikes shipped there. Where, where in the in the garden of the hotel that we were staying in, we reassembled our bikes, uh, got everything ready, and the next morning set out to ride home. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So so we've I've done that journey twice: once from east to west, and once from west to east. You talk about some of the most difficult terrain that you went across, you know, all the cities, all the areas in the countryside that so few people end up actually seeing because you saw like contiguous land for mm. months. Uh, what would you say are some of the more beautiful places that maybe people don't know about? It, it's very hard to pick a beautiful place in China because mm. literally it is so beautiful. It really yeah. is uh, an amazing, even in Guangdong, the greater Bay Area, as soon as you're out mm. of the cities, mm. you, you're seeing green hills, rolling hills. 
hills. It's a very, very beautiful and diverse country. Um, my favorite, my personal favorite is probably Ningxia. I like Ningxia very much. Mm. It's, it's desert and it's being de-desertified. Right, right. Uh, and mm. you can see there's a lot of stuff going on in Ningxia. Ningxia was probably, it's not a province, it's a, an autonomous region, the Ningxia Hui mm. autonomous region. And it's, um, it's very, very Muslim oriented. And every village has the most colorful and beautiful mosque. You know, th this is an architectural thing that surprises mm -hmm. you about China. Mm. Uh, and especially if you, if you don't know China, you, you assume that there's no mosques in China. Mm. You have no idea that when you get into places like Ningxia and Gansu, and, and I, I believe uh, somebody told me Xinjiang has 24,000 mosques, more than the Middle wow. East. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but it's on Wikipedia, so it must be true, right? Mm. Uh, well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I particularly like that kind of thing. The architecture of places like that just stuns me. Mm. And, and the people... The, the food in everywhere you go, the food is different, of course. Mm -hmm. you know, yesterday you were eating one thing and tomorrow you're eating something different. Mm. It is really quite an amazing, diverse uh, country. And it, it quite often you find yourself in minority regions. Uh, last, last year, my wife and I went to Guanxi and cycled for seven weeks through um, wow. the, the Miao autonomous regions. Um, mm. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Hunan in the Tujia Miao autonomous region of mm. Xinxia, or Xiangxia, sorry. <clears throat> and I spent, uh, I was, I was there a week with a media commitment, which is great because I get to see things I wouldn't normally see. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I followed the mayor for a week. Or I think, <laughs> I guess you would call her the prefect. No, 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 <laughs> no. no. I, I was in a car. <clears throat> I caught the fast train. Sometimes, sometimes I use modern technology. Mm -hmm. I caught the fast train there and I was picked up in a, in a, in a nice car and taken to the hotel. And, and I was, it was staying in the, I was in a suite in the Crown Plaza, but they didn't book me a suite. Hmm. But the hotel, I don't know if they knew who I was or what, I'm not anyone special, but the hotel upgraded me. So there were eight or nine people there, and I was the only one in a, a two-room suite Ooh, la, la. In, in the Crown <laughs> Plaza Hotel. Yes, thank you, Crown Plaza, a little plug there. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. But that, I mean, that was, that was a completely different sort, sort of journey. But I spent the time in the minority region looking at the way China helps ethnic minorities, mm. the way China supports. Mm. Uh, and it's, honestly, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. To answer Jason's question, where is the best part of China? <laughs> All of it. That's a very clever answer. That's it. 